meditation. About this, all of us, you know, during the course of the day, uh, you call it the in thing, the fad, an inevitable necessity, right? I think every organization is just not talking about it, but, but doing a lot around it. And what is the role of the global business services uh, within this space and how they are influencing or driving the, the power of these two elements that you see on the screen? With that said, let, let's kind of, uh, between Sundra and I, we'll kind of talk through what's really happening uh, in Olam's global business services and within you know, this, this, this space, right? So let me start with a bit of introduction about Olam. Uh, we are a $22 billion or Singapore $30 billion a global agri and food business uh, major headquartered in Singapore, 30 years in existence, relatively young as compared to our peers, spread across you know, 60 plus uh, countries, a very diversified uh, value chain uh, that ranges right from an upstream plantations of our own to midstream, which is more in terms of the, the, the supply chain commodity trading, which is what we started as and downstream which goes right up to you know, uh, primary and value-added processing before our products reach our different customers. Our vision to be the most differentiated and valuable global agribusiness by 2040. Significant presence in Africa, and I'll talk more about it in the upcoming uh, slides. We deal with more than 4.8 million farmers directly and indirectly, and our purpose is to how we reimagine global agriculture and food systems and create you know, those, those living landscapes for our farmers who can thrive with the related communities in a very harmonious way, in a, in a, in a healthy you know, ecosystem. But with this backdrop, let's kind of look at uh, Olam's global business services. Um, we are a strategic operation center of Olam and an extension to the different groups, businesses, and functions that we support. If you look at our spectrum of uh, support, right, uh, it's across the business processes, right from finance to supply chain to mats with nothing but manufacturing technical services, procurement, human resource operations, risk, taxation, but around company secretarial, either corporate secretarial and taxation and, and, and legal. Uh, in short, we spread across 35 plus countries that we support, five languages, also 24 bar five operations. Some glimpse around uh, the volume that, uh, that we kind of process, and the enablers. It's a workforce of both uh, you know, humans and bots, close to about 800 people as we speak, and, and, and an operation excellence methodology that we use in kind of driving a delivery. A suite of, suite of technology solutions or platforms that we deploy. We are a, a captive. We also do some little bit of outsourcing with respect to you know, payroll. With this said, what's our vision? to help achieve business transformation through operational excellence, automation, and analytics. Analytics need not be big data analytics. You know, it's more in terms of insights and commentary that we are giving respect to the tons of data that gets churned out of your global business services. And all of this is a constant. Business transformation, you can't put a full stop. Enabling that operational excellence has to be there. Automation, yeah, the digital transformation is going to be there, and analytics. That's always going to be there. So that's our vision. And how do we add value? Cost savings, you can't avoid that, right? But beyond that cost savings, global controls and visibility, continuous improvement and innovation or transformation, and access to talent. And this is where I want to really talk about the Africa presence. 
and we are probably one amongst very few GICs globally that would be supporting Africa in a very large way. So in order of our FTE base, we've got close to about 200 or 250 FTEs just supporting the Africa business across these different, you know, business streams that you see above. And the key is here, you can never look at a cost arbitrage which is positive. So all the other elements is what you need to really focus, put in that value, then ultimately you kind of make it then cost positive. I'll give you some examples as we move forward. So with this backdrop, I'll kind of give it to Sundara who will kind of take us through what's really happening in our integrated automation COE that is housed in GBS and what we're really doing around it. Over to you, Sundara. Thanks, GB. Yeah, my name is Sundara Iyer, and I lead the technology at the Olam GBS. Uh, I play an embedded IT role. You know, I'm housed inside the GBS. I report into the global CIO as well as GV. So I work closely with GV to reimagine the future and, you know, put in place a digital operating model, you know, that we looked at in the previous slide, right? So the uh, integrated automation COE is, has been a very key enabler for us in setting up this digital operation model, right? Uh, this is something that has taken us a while to bring it to the current shape and form that you, can, you see on the screen now. Uh, we started taking baby steps about two years back to get the basic construct right, you know. And when I talk of the integrated automation COE, it is not just uh, RPA or tactical pieces like chatbots. Uh, our strategy revolves around, you know, uh, automating pieces using a plethora of technologies, right? These cut across um, uh, SAP, uh, the analytics layer like BI. Uh, then we use AI-powered tools. Um, there are uh, certain automations that we do using RPA, chatbots. And of course, you know, we have analytics as an overarching layer, you know, to kind of uh, wrap this entire pieces. Uh, so the uh, COE kind of helps us to manage the entire life cycle of a digital solution, right? So it starts with uh, uh, idea generation. Uh, so we have a flagship tool within the firm called Eureka. So we run campaigns within uh, our organization to encourage employees to go in and, you know, basically log ideas into the tool. And all these ideas go through a filtration process. Uh, that is where, you know, I work closely with uh, Krishna, who's our uh, operational excellence head. So once we have done the filtration of these ideas, then the technology team steps in. Uh, that's when we start uh, looking at uh, how do we enable or how do we solve a business problem, you know, which is what the idea is about. So that is when we start looking at, uh, one, the feasibility, and two, a technology approach, right? Is it something that I can do possibly by some amount of tweak or automation inside SAP? Uh, can I achieve the objective in analytics? Uh, what AI technologies can I apply on this? Uh, what pieces of the solution can be, you know, delivered, let's say, through an RPA or a chatbot or analytics, right? So that's the approach we take for that. So once we have done the uh, feasibility and the technology assessment, that's when we start, you know, putting a construct together around the benefit assessment. And uh, every use case, you know, goes through a benefit assessment. It goes through a process of approvals. Uh, once we have that, then we get into the execution mode. Uh, in the execution mode, of course, you know, from a governance perspective, we have laid out uh, strong processes. Uh, there are policies, uh, guidelines, checklists, templates, which kind of, you know, help us in the execution journey. And on the people front, you know, we kind of look at uh, 
the various skills that we need to deliver a particular solution. Uh, so we have strategy around what skills we kind of insource within the teams. Uh, then we look at the training aspects. So we figure out, you know, what elements of new technologies that we kind of need to train our workforce in. Uh, uh, having said that, there are other elements, you know, which the COE looks after, things like uh, infrastructure management, uh, what kind of, you know, approach we take, uh, how, how do we set up various bot farms if it has anything to do with RPA. When it comes to chatbots, um, approach around what use cases I can put on the cloud, uh, if I'm dealing with any sensitive use cases, financial data, et cetera. So we have an approach as to, you know, how we keep them uh, on-premise. Uh, license management is another, you know, very critical aspect. Uh, uh, for any digital employee, you know, though they are available 24 by 7, they still need a lot of minding, right? So uh, any such process that we kind of digitize, we need to have a mechanism uh, in terms of uh, who's the ultimate owner of this digital employee, right? We just don't want to leave them hanging and, you know, the business thinking that the IT owns it, whereas the technology guy thinks, you know, it is the uh, business which owns it, right? So we have uh, governance around that. So essentially, every digital employee is tagged uh, to a business operations lead there. So they essentially look after a digital employee with the same light, you know, as they would to any other physical associate in their teams. And we also have uh, procedures around what happens if a digital solution fails, right? So what's the responsibility of the IT team? What's the responsibility of the operations team? So all these are kind of, you know, taken care of uh, as part of the uh, COE framework. Right. So just to give you a glimpse of the various, you know, uh, technology pieces, uh, the technology trends, which are very topical from a GBS perspective, right? So all the blue-colored ones are uh, technologies that we actually use in the GBS. Uh, the last layer that you see, the green-colored uh, ones, are technologies where uh, the GBS is a consumer of these technologies, right? So me and my team do not work on these technologies. We have various other teams within Olam which work on those technologies. Uh, but GBS, you know, essentially consumes them. So once we started uh, looking at this canvas of uh, multiple emerging new technologies, uh, to be honest, you know, at first uh, we were overawed, intimidated. I was kind of scared. I said, how on earth am I going to run, you know, projects around so many new technologies, right? Uh, then we kind of, you know, uh, sat down together with the uh, business leaders. Then we came up with an approach. We said, it's very important that we kind of experiment with each of these, right? And experiment with these from a context of Olam instance, right? So I think that is very critical. So what we did is we, you know, we started doing quick and dirty experiments around each of these technology pieces. And wherever, you know, we found these uh, technology pieces to be suitable in terms of, you know, use cases within our organizational context, we came up with an approach as to how do we, you know, kind of start doing a deep dive around each of these areas, right? So based on the business benefit that they deliver, we started making our investment plans around that. So I think it's very important for um, any GBS to kind of look at all the pieces of emerging technologies, right? And uh, of course, in the subsequent slides, you know, I will talk of a couple of use cases where we have applied a mix of these technologies, you know, to derive to drive essentially a business outcome. Right. So in this example, I'm talking of uh, invoice processing. 
So we had a bespoke process uh, where you know we were using the traditional uh, ECM solution, a workflow solution, which had its own inbuilt OCR engine, right? And it's a very traditional OCR engine, which was kind of you know vendor-based templates, and within uh, a template, you know everything would be kind of coordinate-based, right? Uh, so we started looking at you know various uh, other solutions in terms of intelligent OCR solutions. Then we kind of you know identified a solution. So we were able to kind of decouple the old OCR engine from our solution, plug in the new intelligent OCR. So the advantages of the intelligent OCR were you know manifold. One is you know it uses um, a machine learning to kind of do auto classification. Uh, what it uh, means is you don't have to kind of you know templateize every vendor in your system, right? So the engine kind of, you know, through auto classification takes care of it. And uh, even within a particular uh, uh, form or a template, so to speak, uh, whatever data it extracts is, you know, kind of independent of the coordinates, right? So there are so many variations that we typically see in, let's say, a vendor invoice. So all these kind of, you know, the intelligent OCR engine takes care of it. And uh, we also had the ability to kind of, you know, write the output from this new engine into a database so that it made it a lot easier for us to, you know, kind of plug and play uh, the output from this intelligent OCR into multiple other solutions, right? So we have certain solutions where we take it back to a workflow engine. There are other solutions, you know, where we have the ability to use an RPA to kind of, you know, work further on this data. And uh, of course, our ECM engines are, you know, tightly integrated with SAP. Uh, but there are a lot of exception scenarios, you know, where people had to go and uh, apart from what were the index into the ECM, there is a need for people to go and you know enter data into SAP. So we were able to apply uh, or use RPA to kind of you know take care of that. And uh, any business process that we kind of you know automate using technology, uh, there, there is a visualization layer. There is an architecture you know through which we have analytics. And to make some of these analytics better, we've been able to use NLG to kind of you know come up with a commentary on the insights, right? So it makes it a lot easier for a business person to consume these, you know, uh, upfront. So they don't have to, you know, spend much time in looking at all those details. The other example that I'm going to talk about is around the uh, uh, conversational AI, right? So our conversational AI strategy is around uh, three themes. One is centered around the customer, second is around the vendor, and third is around the employee. So we have an employee virtual assistant chatbot, which is called Anna. Uh, this kind of you know, cuts across multiple areas, right? So our initial dilemma was, if I were to create a chatbot, let's say for HR, then I have a different chatbot for legal. For IT, how do I kind of you know, uh, create that unified uh, customer experience for all the employees, right? So that's how you know, we came up with an architecture where we were able to kind of bring in this multiple chatbots into a single chatbot. Right, so that is around the uh, digital avatar, or you know, having a single persona being able to take care of you know multiple needs of an employee. Right, and our chatbots are AI powered. They use NLP. They use uh, a lot of you know other uh, aspects of AI to make the entire user experience that much better. Right. I'll now hand over to JV. Thank you, Sundar. So. With all of this, right, what is your ultimate you know, objective or goal is, you know, is your customer. The customer could be your internal stakeholder or it could be the end customer. So typically, your customer is the king. And what you want to achieve is basically give them that experience which is beyond satisfaction. I just want to divide it into two parts. One is when you go behind a digital you know, or an automation intervention, right, we want to have certain criteria that, that, that we want to lay down 
before we pick up something, right? The others will talk about a few sample success stories in terms of the customer experience. So, bang for the buck. So when you go for a digital intervention, one is a minimum of 50% efficiency that we want to get out of it. That could be in terms of, you know, your average handling time, or in terms of around-the-clock monitoring that needs to happen. Whether it will eliminate rework, right? And cumulatively across all the different interventions that we do, you know, from a GBS perspective, I'm not talking about the value that we give to the business. As GBS, we have a saving of, a net saving of at least half a million dollars every year that we get. And one is, when you pick up an intervention, there needs to be a product that needs to come out. We want to look at that viable product to come out anywhere, anywhere between six to eight weeks. It shouldn't take more than that. And lastly, you reduce your operation cost by about 50%. That's something that we want to reduce when we have that operation which is then running digitally. With this, I'll give you some examples here, some sample success stories. The first thing I want to touch upon is the Africa business. This is related to our packaged food business, right, which is predominantly or, or you know, largely the Africa-centric uh, business, right, where we deal with confectionaries, biscuits, and different food ingredients. So the way that the, the businesses operate in Africa is quite different, right? Imagine a cash-and-carry business, right, and a large-size cash-and-carry, which means your customer is walking into a warehouse or a factory outlet, right, and he comes with his truck. And, and from an Africa context, typically, you know, they do a lot of cash sales, but we don't accept cash, which means that this customer who's coming in, right, coming with his truck, he has to either should have deposited his money in the bank, comes with a bank slip, or we've got a bank counter which is there within our factory outlet where he comes and deposits cash, takes a slip, then he is going into the sales team, meeting the sales guy. Uh, so typically what's happening, you've got a sales team or a sales guys, you've got the supply chain guys, which is a combination of people sitting onshore, you have an offshore team, then you have an accounting team, which is again sitting offshore. These are the different teams which are involved. So this customer basically is, is coming in, right? So he's got this paying and slip, right? Let me tell you, the banks in Africa aren't that very backward. You can go see the credit online in your portal, and you can see it sitting right in Chennai, right? So when he sees it, right, typically he goes, gives this, the sales guy then informs, saying that, you know, please check the credit, inform the supply chain team, informs the team in GBS, right? Then what really happens is everything has to be triggered. The entire cycle time for it to happen depends upon the volume that it picks up. That could be anywhere between, let's say, uh, 45 minutes to two hours before the truck leaves the premises, right? So with this said, you have a turnaround time of creating a sales order, a delivery order on invoice and giving it back to the sales guys within 20 minutes or half an hour. This whole process has to be completed from a GBS perspective. So there was a project that was picked up, an initiative is to reduce this overall cycle time and a customer comes in with a truck and leaves the premises, right? And how much can we reduce? And you have different players around it. And the area that we were able to focus was this 20 minutes or half an hour. So we kind of revisited the way that the inputs come in, templatize, you know, things, or we need, do we need to streamline the end-to-end -end process. Then we applied RPA. The net result was we were able to reduce the cycle time in terms of what we were able to influence from about half an hour to 10 minutes. So the influence, depending upon the time that the customer spends, anywhere between 10 to 30%. That was the same percentage they were able to reduce overall in terms of the cycle time reduction. Today, with respect to what we do in here, we've got two bots and one person against this five for a particular country. No rework that typically happens. And essentially, we were able to give back a cost arbitrage because today we're working with only one person against five people, right? This is a, a simple example. The other one was what we call as deal-to-delivery. 
this is to do with another you know large business of ours where you got about five origination countries to two destination countries where the shipments are moving in this the challenge was there's a lot of visibility challenges that was there you know with respect to the leadership we were not able to do our day one invoicing right so there was only about 60% of day one invoicing happening another important metric was on time and, and full delivery to the customer that was again again around 60% so with these challenges the supply chain head of this business basically you know said that let's do a project where we are able to kind of change the entire way this whole thing you know operates and gbs was tasked to drive this initiative across these six different countries right so we had to start right from what is the current process the end to end process how do we streamline this whole process and bring in an integrated workflow and analytic solution that will be able to bring the benefit back to the business in terms of improving improving the otf and the day one invoicing the result was after about 4 months of work we got a solution which also had an analytics attached to it in terms of a dashboard information which is real time the day one invoicing in the last 12 15 months typically moved from about 60 odd percent to more than 90% the otf which is a very important metric again moved from about 64 to more than 90% and this this impact was was you know typically felt in terms of how we were able to increase our revenue recognition and had an impact on the working capital this is again a very important initiative and very specifically in terms of analytics it tells you who are the laggards is is my otf which is coming down in a particular origination country why is it happening all this information was typically available real time third example is a digital month close this is something that we did the last 6 months this is in terms of how are we able to get this entire month close move into a digital mode and augmented digital mode and where we were able to bring down the cycle time by about a day right this is something that we were able to pilot for one particular legal entity and we believe that we have a product which is at least about 65% replicable with that said it's basically a beginning a head start and way to go and the way we see it is integrated automation that's the way to go it cannot be one technology two is chatbots increase usage of the chatbots three is visualization and data insights how much are you able to be influencers rather than doers and lastly workforce which has to be a combination of humans and digitals because today's millennials do not fancy routine works so and how do we kind of upskill them and then do more with less with less so thank you that's about it and we're open okay. to okay. questions just a couple of questions maybe two or three questions maybe yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was a combination using sap cockpit and uh, from your subledger close till you are able to upload your mis and nas the different set of activities that was something that was you know put together we looked at the cutoff adherence right because it had an influence on cutoff also if you don't close your subledger on a particular day if you delay it then your material ledger then gets delayed and the whole process gets delayed so it was a combination looking at sap bi because we run schedules that come out of the system so to what extent that can depend on bi is so pulling something out of sap the third was out of manual activities what you do in terms of ap and ar clearance can we do it using the bots can we do it for example your uh, your fa run can we do it using a bot so less of manual influence and the speed at which we're able to turn it around that typically helped us in reducing probably uh, i would say if you had 10 minutes it came down to one fifth of that so essentially you know we were able to bring about 40% efficiency that we got 
typically a day's reduction overall for that particular legal entity where we piloted. And the programs that we developed, we believe there are about 65% replicable across our different business models and products. Uh, hi, uh, this is Anjali from uh, Hindustan Coca-Cola. Um, <clears throat> my question is, uh, what were the key challenges uh, 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 you faced while exploring the OCR solution, the NLG analytics, uh, 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 you know, solution that you have implemented? Yeah, none of this was easy, by the way. You know, the true our journey has been a lot of failures before we were able to hit successes. Yeah, right. Sandra, you can yeah. take it. Coming to OCR, we actually looked at multiple uh, OCR solutions. Uh, for us, from a requirement perspective, we were very clear in our mind that we needed a solution where we would not templatize every vendor in the system, right? That was the first requirement, right? So we started looking out for a solution which would have its own, you know, ability to kind of do auto classification, use ML, to do away with this uh, vendor-based templating. The other challenge was around, um, there are so many variations even across the templates, et cetera, right? So the position in which, you know, through which you extract a certain uh, set of characters. So the new tool has an ability, it's agnostic of the coordinates in terms of, you know, where the text occurs in the documents. So that was the second requirement. And third was the overall accuracy, right? So we were looking for a tool where uh, even if we were dealing with some handwritten um, things on the invoice, as long as it was in the caps, you know, I needed the tool to have the ability to kind of, you know, bend that out. So we looked at uh, multiple tools. Uh, yeah, after almost nine months, you know, we kind of had paid it with the tool that we are currently using. You had a second question, which was? It was around NLG and analytics, right? Yeah. Uh, so we have an architecture in terms of all the um, analytics that we do, you know, for our ECM platform and all the other applications that we have. Uh, so most of the data sets in SQL. And we use Power BI to kind of, you know, do the visualization around that, right? So we applied NLG on top of these Power BI dashboards to create the commentary on the insights. Right? The NLG analytics, uh, 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 you know, solution that you have implemented. Yeah, the, none of this was easy, by the way. You know, the true our journey has been a lot of failures before we were able to hit successes. Yeah, right. Sandra, you yeah. can take it. Coming to OCR, we actually looked at multiple uh, OCR solutions. For us, from a requirement perspective, we were very clear in our mind that we needed a solution where we would not templatize every vendor in the system, right? That was the first requirement, right? So we started looking out for a solution which would have its own, you know, ability to kind of do auto classification, use ML, to do away with this uh, vendor-based templating. The other challenge was around, um, there are so many variations even across the templates, et cetera, right? So the position in which, you know, through which you extract a certain uh, set of characters. So the new tool has an ability, it's agnostic of the coordinates in terms of, you know, where the text occurs in the documents. So that was the second requirement. And third was the overall accuracy, right? So we were looking for a tool where uh, even if we were dealing with some handwritten um, uh, things on the invoice, as long as it was in the caps, you know, I needed the tool to have the ability to kind of, you know, bend that out. So we looked at uh, multiple tools. Uh, yeah, after almost nine months, you know, we kind of had paid it with the tool that we are currently using. You had a second question, which was? It was around NLG and analytics, right? Yeah. Uh, so we have an architecture in terms of all the um, analytics that we do, you know, for our ECM platform and all the other applications that we have. Uh, so most of the data sets in SQL. And we use Power BI to kind of, you know, do the visualization around that, right? So we applied NLG on top of these Power BI dashboards to create the commentary on the insights.
Ish Narayan here from Tata Motors. Two questions: business or the IT, or those who implemented it. Uh, here it is. Uh, it's, it's GBS. You know, there is no business. It's basically it's done by the GBS. So, okay, brass tax. What I what I just mentioned there in that one slide, right? In terms of the bank for the buck, right? One thing is, when you do an RPA intervention, right? We should at least have one FT benefit that comes, right? And typically, what we look at it is anywhere between 40 to 50 percent of efficiency gains that you get, which means that if you have, let's say, a, a 5 FT process, okay, that should come down to at least 2 to 2.5. And net, net, because there is an investment cost. When you're putting an RPA, right, there's an investment cost. Let's say your cost of FT is $20,000, your cost of a bot could be probably $9,000. But there is an investment. So there's a number of sunk cost which is going in, but over a period, we'll kind of recover all of that. Right? And, and, and if a bot fails, the GPS has to take the beating. It's not anybody else. I mean, we work in tandem. So, GPS. Not about pointing fingers, who does it, right? So, uh, ultimately, it's the GPS. I'll also give a different flavor to you know, what GV just mentioned. All our bots are designed in such a way that wherever there's a technical exception, it goes to the relevant people, technical folks in DCOE. Wherever it's anything to do with the business exception, you know, we have uh, designed uh, all our RPAs in such a manner that it triggers an email to the business operations. Then, you know, we work together to, you know, kind of fix it. Sorry to just Sorry, extend. completely out of time now, so if you could so, just... Yeah, I'm more than happy to pick it up. One question.